Hello, welcome to episode two of season seven of Plumbing Your Pocket. I'm joined by Jack Boyle. Jack, how are you on today? Very well, thanks. Simon, yourself? I am A-OK. Anything you want to start off with after last week's episode where you slagged off my dad? <laughs> you said he was ancient. I suppose I better get that off my chest and Go just apologise to the good doctor, Robin Allison. No mm-hmm. harm or offence was intended. Too I know late. that it's not an excuse under the Equality Act, exactly. but nonetheless. Purpose or effect. The effect Indeed. was such, but I was so upset. In any case, let's also introduce Blair Duncan. Hey, Blair, how are you on today? I'm fine, Simon. How are you? This is your first podcast of season seven. Season seven, I know it's been going quite a while now, isn't it? And this is entitled The Newbies. The Newbies, so I'm. Newbie Road. Newbie Road. Road. Okay, do you want us to kind of send Jack? One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Black Hair's Employment Team Podcast. We have your very own employment lawyer in your pocket. This podcast is aimed at managers and business owners intend to keep you on the street and narrow with your staff. This series is all about the newbies to reflect the fact that our employment team has taken on some new recruits since the last series. So what we're going to look at is the ins and outs of recruiting and integrating new employees into the business. So what we'll be looking at, for example, last week, we looked at placing job adverts. Yes. This one, we're going to focus on the interview. Nice. Blair, mm-hmm. any experience of interviews, do you? Yes, the judge interview. I remember mine at Blackadders. How was it? It was It was good. It was an assessment day. There was who, some, inter- who interviewed you? I don't know. Some guy. I can't remember his name. <laughs> and they oh. gave you a job. <laughs> they gave me a job, I know. And was it me, was it? I think it was you. It was you and Emma. Okay. Jane. Was I a good cop or a bad cop? What am I supposed to say? A bad, <laughs> bad cop, I think. Bad cop. Definitely bad cop. Okay. Do you want to do the plug, Jack? So this episode, as always, is brought to you by the thepodcasthost.com, the ultimate how-to podcast resource on the web. They can help you with anything podcast-related, from planning and launching your show, equipment and editing, to growing an audience and even monetizing your show. Check out their super handy free step-by-step guide on how to start your very own podcast. This is available at thepodcasthost.com slash start. Nice. Okay. So first, discussed in episode one, applications and processes. We're talking now about selection. So, Blair, what do employers have to consider when they consider selection? Well, the issues are broadly similar at this stage as they were at the job advert stage. Okay. Employers obligations will be laid down in the Quality Act and in the Data Protection Act. So primarily the employer will want to ensure that the stages in the selection process stand up to reasonable scrutiny. Okay. So the stages that a job advertising process could maybe look something like this. Shortlisting at number one. Yep, check. Number two, selection tests. Mm Number three, the one I really dislike, assessment centres. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, okay. And fourthly? Fourthly, also dislike this, although I've not been to one for about 12 years, is interviews. <laughs> Whichever yeah. selection process an employer or a business decides upon, it is important to ensure that the overall process is fair, consistent, and of course, crucially, results in the appointment of the best person for the job. Okay. Remember also that employers should ensure that if any candidate requires a reasonable adjustment to be made to remove any disadvantage that they are put to caused by a disability, then the employer needs to make such an accommodation. But what, Simon? They need to make 
any reasonable adjustment. Not all adjustments, any reasonable adjustments. So again, it's not an open-ended obligation to make everything to do. What do you think about this one then, guys? Mm-hmm. Some employers, not naming any names, mm-hmm. <coughs> Simon, will often carry out further investigations into applicants by looking at their social media presence. That's a nonsense, Jack. Does That's defamatory. It's not defamatory. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a lie. Task. It's inaccurate. It's a lie. We've got clients that do do that, though, and we know yeah, this, we do. don't we? We do. We do. Snoop we do. on somebody's Facebook to see whether, for example, they are out every weekend on the razzle-dazzle that might call into question their attendance or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. What, what do we think, Blair? Well, it's a... A thorny issue. A thorny issue, definitely. (laughs) It's definitely a difficult one. But I think the Data Protection Act, again, everyone's friend, comes into play. (laughs) Employers need to remember that any personal data they obtain as part of those investigations will see them, that's the employer, become a data controller, meaning they need to process that data lawfully. In particular, they must have a legitimate reason for holding that information. Okay. And something else to bear in mind here, similar to that kind of line of thread, is that if an employer conducts searches of news websites or something like that as part of the vetting process, you never know that search might reveal details of some previous offending on the part of the applicant, maybe some spent convictions or something. And if the employer relies on that, then that's likely to be a breach of the rehabilitation of offenders legislation. So, for example, where the employer decides that they do need to ask a candidate about convictions at the job offer stage, then it's important to have a lawful basis for doing so and also to have a policy in place so that there's consistency. Okay. That's right. And in a similar vein, it's possible, given that everything's online now, for a potential employer to access the Employment Tribunal database. Some employers may decide to conduct a search of that database as part of the recruitment process to see whether an applicant has brought claims against any previous employers and or is a serial litigant. Gosh, good call. I haven't thought of that before. I thought about that when we recruited our new partner, Stephen Connolly. Did you check him out, did you? Checked him out on the employment tribunals. Serial litigant. He did find his name quite regular, so that suggested to me that he was certainly a a serial tribunal representer. Okay. Uh, But not a litigant. Not a litigant. (laughs) Thankfully. But remember, this could expose the employer to a victimisation claim if the applicant's previous claims were for discrimination and then the employer subsequently doesn't offer the applicant a job for that reason. Okay, so screen the applicants, vet the applicants. What is the next stage, Blair? Well, as Jack said earlier, employers would then more than likely be ready to create a short list of their preferred candidates, people that they want or potentially want to hire. Mm -hmm. Using more than one person when you're doing that to consider the applications reduces the risk of that person taking perhaps an unbalanced or overly subjective decision about the applicant. So for example, at my assessment day, there was you, there was Jane, there was Emma, lots of people in the panel to avoid one person perhaps who who didn't like me. Well, that was me. Say no more than that. (laughs) Don't get my job. (laughs) To ensure... Some consistency though, the same staff should be responsible for selection decisions in any given recruitment exercise. So you shouldn't maybe chop and change those personnel. Okay, so same people do the objective assessment. Correct. And then the panel should also agree in advance the weighting to be given to each different criteria that's going to be used or criterion that's going to be used in answer to the questions. So for example, you know, what's a minimum score? What's a maximum score? What's, what do you need to do to achieve an interview, etc. How many candidates even are you going to interview? Because you might not, as is often the case here, when we're seeking trainees, it's not going to be feasible to interview every single person that applies. Fine. 
Now our clients use a range of methods to try and um, select people from straightforward interviews to psychometric testing to asking candidates to work trial periods. These are all acceptable methods to try and assess whether or not the person is suitable to give a job to. Exactly. It's all about making sure that you avoid discrimination as a business. Yes, you want to get the best person for the job, but ultimately sometimes you just got to suck it and see, hey, you just never know, as we often find out in employment law. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. When you're thinking about the more traditional method, like like an interview, that's likely not to be the decisive stage of the selection process, but it is the stage when it's probably easiest to make snap judgments about a candidate based on instant, subjective, and often wholly irrelevant impressions. So what they were wearing, what they looked like, all those kind of things. Yeah, you don't want to judge a book by its cover, although probably that's what happens half the time. But employers should therefore avoid irrelevant questions at an interview, um, particularly those which relate to protected characteristics. So maybe a female comes for a job and then she finds herself bombarded about questions regarding family planning or childcare arrangements. All those kind of things would be red flags, Sai. A female has no, no obligation to declare her pregnancy in, in a recruitment process. If she volunteers information, then that should not be taken into account in giving her a job or not. An employer only needs to know if the person can do the job and if they're willing to do the job. And that's the thing you want to check if you're interviewing a female. We had a case, didn't we, Sai, um, a couple of years ago, perhaps, yep. where the, our client, the employer, or the would-be employer, received an ET1 for sex discrimination by a female candidate who was unsuccessful for the job. And yep. that was one of those assessment day situations. Yep. What happened there, Sai? Our client had an assessment day. There were 50 people attending this assessment day. Um, and our client offered 10 jobs. One unsuccessful candidate um, lodged a claim, she was a female, for sex discrimination against our client. And she managed to get the interview notes and they contained the following handwritten notes by the interviewer. And they said the following, cheap shoes, nasty handbag, horrid coat. Ouch. Now the question is, would you say the same thing about a male candidate? Would you, Jack? Well, it depends. Eh? If he had a nice pair of uh, Bruno Magli loafers on, I probably wouldn't <laughs> pass comment, but um, no, absolutely you wouldn't. How's about your horrid coat used to wear? Mm. The Labrad coat. All the stains on it, I think, probably, <laughs> would probably be noted. How's about your um, lovely new pleather jacket? Mm-hmm. I would probably not wear that to an interview because it's it, makes me look, trend. it makes me look hard. Do you want to tell us how you managed to get that jacket? Probably not. No? Another time? <laughs> Another time. If there's time? <laughs> if there's time at the end. Okay, so what's the most ridiculous question you've heard, Jack, during the interview process? So, I mean, I've heard a few. I've yes. heard of, actually, I was chatting to a client the other day who went for a job interview in West Lothian. Mm -hmm. um, and this chap came from Glasgow, but when the CV was read by the employer it was noted that this job applicant went to a catholic high school mm -hmm. and the employer indicated that that catholic background might not be too attractive in this particular town where the business was based okay quite old-fashioned quite sectarian but that's just an example of i thought you would um give an example of train spotting your favorite scene in train spotting well, I could have done that as well, you know, the scene where Spud goes for a job interview or a benefits interview. But um, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that concludes episode two. What are our three takeaway tips? Blair, 
What's tip number one? Number one is make sure you know what the selection method for any role is going to be in advance and make sure that the method of selection relates entirely to the role and the aptitude of the candidate to be able to fulfill the role. So make sure what you're asking is relevant to the person and the job. Good. Okay, tip two, Blair. Ensure that you're open to making reasonable adjustments to the selection or interview process to accommodate any candidate with disability. So, for example, think about things you might have to do to allow them access to the building or that kind of thing. Okay, and final tip, tip number three. Don't ask any questions which you don't need the answer to. This creates a risk of discrimination and also sees you acquire personal data which you may not have a legitimate purpose in holding. Good. So that concludes episode two of this podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast, your normal podcast host. In a word, pleasure. <laughs> like my pleasure in other people's leisure. <laughs> there it is. Very good, Jack. Okay, cheers and cheer. Now, Jack, that leather um, jacket you got, you're in Capri, on Peroni. Yep. What happened after that? With the mother-in-law. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs>